0: Church. Wow. Uh, Drew. Yeah, no, I can't come out here while you're talking about me like that. I just, he was trying to make me cry. That was his whole goal and all of that is he was trying to make you came this close, you came this close, this close to getting me cry, making me cry. Um, uh, working with Drew over the past six months has been an honor and a privilege as the associate Di- uh, discipleship director and uh, man, you guys we're having an awesome week here at Stone Creek Church. Sean Curry brought the word on Sunday night about how uh, Jesus is the door. And then Ryan last night challenging us about how Jesus is the vine. I mean, God is doing something incredible at Stone Creek Church. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Like our groups are busting at the seams. There are more people coming through our doors and watching online than any time before up until this last March. It's incredible. uh, Students every Wednesday are having like a revival, like every Wednesday night. Kids on Sunday morning are meeting Jesus and getting baptized. God is doing something incredible here at Stone Creek Church. And I firmly believe that that's because we have been preaching Jesus. Because when you preach Jesus, lives change. And changed lives, change lives. And that's what's been going on here at Stone Creek Church. Me and my husband have been trying to live this idea out. He told you that, that uh, Jordan Ledwell, the, the kids guy here, who's also in charge of Camp, Camp Arrowhead, that's my man. Um, We've been, (laughs) we've been working together in ministry for the past 12 years. And 12 years ago, we started in a church in Winston Salem, North Carolina. He was the family pastor there. He was in charge of students and kids. And I was a high school English teacher at a school that was walking distance from the church. So that meant that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we were eating, breathing, living teenagers. They were all the time at our house and we loved it. We had a great time. One of my favorite things to do as a, as a, um, as a, as a student leader is that I would have like the girls come over and we'd have uh, themed sleepovers and we would have movies that with like, uh, we would dress up like the characters and we did have food that was themed out according to the movie. And so um, one night we were having one of these sleepovers and Jordan was at his parents' house and all the girls came over and one girl was getting there a little bit late her name was Emily, and she was a senior. She was our only senior, and this, this beautiful, beautiful human being was 17 going on about 42, wise beyond her years. I'm pretty sure that if I was going through a breakdown, I'd call her, and so um, she was going to be there a little bit late, and all the other girls were hanging out, and we were like, let's play a, play, a prank on her. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? So we came up with this like idea. We called Jordan back. He hid down in our basement. So here's what you need to know about this house that Jordan and I lived in when we first got married. When Jordan and I first got married, we were broke. And when I say broke, I mean broke on broke on broke. All right. We were broke, broke, broke. And so we were living in this old farmhouse that I'm pretty sure should have been condemned. And like it was one of those old farmhouses where like nothing in the house was level. Like we, we could roll uh, canned goods down our kitchen counters and see which one would make it to the sink the first. Like nothing in the house was level. Like one of the girls uh, spilled a drink and uh, I, w- I heard myself say it and I was like, I can't believe I said that. I was like, catch it before it gets to the fridge because it would literally run down the kitchen, the kitchen floor and pull underneath the, ki- the fridge and I would have to smell it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, catch it before it hits the fridge. So here, when I say Jordan went and hid in the basement, Jordan went and hid in a hand dug, hole in the ground, nothing but dirt and cinder blocks, basement, okay? So he's hiding down in the basement. That's where the, uh, the fuse box was. And the, the, the prank was is that when Emily showed up, whatever room she would go in, he would flip the fuse and the lights would go out. And so Emily showed up, she walked into the living room and he hit the fuse and the, the lights went out in the living room. I was like, this is weird. So I started turning on all the lights. I'm like, this is weird. Let's all let's all of us go into the kitchen. And all the little young girls that were there were like, like really amping it up. Like, this is weird, Jess. I don't like this. Your house is already really creepy. And so then like we, we, so we all went into the kitchen and uh, uh, Jordan flipped the fuse down in the basement and the lights in the living room came on, but the lights in the kitchen went off. So I was like, Oh no, Emily, honey, why don't you go check the bathroom? See if it's uh, having to do in the bathroom. And I was like texting Jordan down in the basement. She's going to the bathroom. So like when she left the, the kitchen, the lights came on. And when she got into the bathroom, the lights went off and she couldn't get them back on. And I was like, Oh, Emily, this is weird. Okay, you're the oldest. You're going to have to go down into the basement and check the fuse box with me. She said, I ain't going in down there. You, you have lost your mind. I was like, no, I don't want to go by myself. I don't want to go down in the dark basement by myself. Come with me. And she's like, fine. Do you have a flashlight? No, but I got a candle. Of course you've got a candle. That's what you want. not we go down into your cre- creepy basement with a candle. So here we go. Me and Emily, she's like got holding on to my shirt back in the back and we're going down the stairs and I've got a candle. And so um, I got down into the basement. And she goes, where's your fuse box? And I was like, okay, here's the deal, Emily. It's behind the door. So we have to shut the door to get to the fuse box. So I've got a candle and I'm shutting the door. And the second I shut the door, I blew out the candle, pitch black darkness, and all you heard was, Emily. When I tell you (laughs) that she shoved me down in the mud, (laughs) I flew open the door and ran up the stairs screaming. It was the best prank ever. All the girls were up at the top laughing. She came up and that was the first time and the only time a student ever looked at me and said, I hate you. I love you, but I hate you. We're great now. I even had a messenger last night. She was totally cool with me telling this story. But I kind of got to wondering, like, what is it about the dark that's scary? When we're kids, it's because we're afraid that there might be something else in the dark with us. You know, the boogeyman or... Something's going to touch her toes. Like what? There's something. And uh, for me, I like to keep a nightlight on in my kid's room, not because I'm afraid that there might be something in the dark with them, but I'm afraid they're going to trip over something or bump into something on their way to the bathroom to get water or to get water. And then I started to wonder, like when we grow up and we mature and we become like uh, Emily and uh, we're super wise and mature beyond our years, do we really ever stop being afraid of the dark? Or has the definition of darkness just changed? Because now we're not really afraid of the literal dark, darkness that where the lights turn out and we can't see anymore. Now we're afraid of the unknown. What's up ahead of us? When the path that is up ahead of us in our lives is casted in shadows and we get a little bit afraid of what might happen next, that same fear resurfaces. This past year has been a year of unknown. We're not quite sure what's going to happen next. Some of us might be uh, surrounded by the darkness of joblessness. That's what you have coming up in in the front. Like what if I, what's going to happen with my job? It could be bankruptcy, infertility, uh, fear, depression, and anxiety. What in the world is going to happen to my marriage? I'm looking at divorce down the barrel and there is darkness up ahead. Some of us are not necessarily looking f- forward into darkness. Some of us are sitting in it and we've gotten really comfortable. You know how you sit in darkness for a while and your eyes kind of start to adjust and you think you can kind of navigate it yourself. Some of us are not necessarily trying to walk in darkness, some of us in the unknown, some of us have gotten really comfortable in it and we're sitting in darkness, we're sitting in addiction. We're sitting in our grief. We're sitting in our depression. We're sitting in anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, and we're just sitting in it. But I'm gonna tell you today that Jesus does not want us to be sitting in the dark. He wants us to be walking in the light. So let's look and see where, the way, where we find this in scripture tonight. And you, so open up your Bibles, if you brought them with you, if you have your phone, you can pull out your phone where it's gonna be up on the screen. We're gonna be in the book of John chapter eight, verse 12. And here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, his, his followers and his disciples are with him, but he's speaking to the Pharisees here. And he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I, am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now doesn't that just sound like the best, like, printable scripture quote ever like I know there are some ladies in this room right here tonight that have this beautifully beautifully scripted and hanging above their couch and their living rooms something that says like shine uh, shine beautifully shine your light Jesus is the light of the world it's probably right next to the sign that says gather like don't lie y'all got it from Hobby Lobby didn't you some of your husbands are elbowing you right now, like why, why do we have to label everything? Why do you have to have eat in the dining room? Why do you have to have wash your hands in the bathroom? Light of the light can stay, I'm cool with that, but can we get rid of the other one? Like Hobby Lobby, what is it? What is it about Hobby Lobby? Like that is a perfect, I am the light of the world. Is that not the most encouraging thing you've ever heard in your life? That you don't have to walk in darkness, you can walk in the, with the light of life. What you need to know about this, this verse right here, this, this statement, this statement is all out heresy to the religious leaders of this time. They are flat out triggered, but why? Why would something so encouraging and so beautiful trigger religious leaders that were talking to Jesus? Well, here's what you need to know about Jesus and the way he spoke. When Jesus spoke to people who were not educated, people who didn't know who he was or anything about the Old Testament, he would use characters and parables. He would talk about sheep and coins and vines and doors. But when he was talking to the Pharisees, he knew the Pharisees were educated. These were the religious leaders. They were the smart people. And so when he talked to the Pharisees, he would use scripture. He would use Old Testament to kind of like put them in their place because he knew the scripture better than they did. He lived it. So here he is using scripture. But where do we see this scripture before in the Old Testament? Where did this scripture come from? Why is he re-quoting this? Well, let's track it back. I love tracking uh, themes and motifs throughout scripture and light is a beautiful word that is used throughout scripture. So let's track it all the way back over here to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, the whole universe is formed, formless, it's void and God spoke and out of his mouth creation and the first thing he created, he said, let there be light. But why light? Why light first? Because where there is light, there is life. Because the second thing that he created was plants. And what do plants eat? I learned this with my kid during distance learning. Plants literally eat rays of sunlight. They turn it into glucose, which turns into sugar, and then they transform it and turn it into air. I'm telling you, I've been learning a lot during distance learning. It's been incredible. So he, he created, <laughs> he created light first and then from light, he had plants and then plants, the animals and the humans who would eat the plants, the light came first and from the light came life. But then we track it just a little bit further into Exodus, and we're in Exodus 13. And in Exodus 13, God's people were um, enslaved by the Egyptians, and God tasked Moses with getting them out of slavery. And uh, when he got them out of slavery, they're like, "Oh no, what do we do? Uh, we don't know where to go, and the the Egyptians are hot on our tails. And I don't know, like we're all alone out here in the in the desert. What are we gonna do? And God sent a pillar of fire." A light that literally scared the pants off the Egyptians and lit up the direction in which the, uh, the Jewish people were supposed to, to go because he promised he would never let them walk alone. And then you track it just a little bit more. In the desert, he decided to create for them a place of worship. It's called the tabernacle, it was a tent. And I'm gonna put a picture up on the screen. And look at that ugly picture. We about to learn something up in here. Look at that ugly picture. So this is, <laughs> this is a picture of what the, what the shapes and where things were supposed to go in the tabernacle. So this big square over here on the far right, that's the altar, okay? This big shiny thing over here, that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the, the presence of God dwelled, all right? Look at all the stuff in between the altar, where they would have sacrifices, and the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God lived. Now let's walk through that for just a second. So they're in the ta- they have this tabernacle as a place of worship, but in order to get in, you see the entrance over there, the arrow, Before, when you get in, the first thing you had to do was get rid of all the, the wrongdoings, the sin, and that's through blood sacrifice, and we had animals, and I bet it always smelled like Outback State House, and so they have animal sacrifices, and then we had a bronze basin where people would literally become clean. Then they could go into the holy place, and inside the holy place, you see that big shiny thing down there at the bottom? It's a, you see the, the lamp stand? Inside the holy place was a beautiful, giant candlestick. And that candlestick was never supposed to go out. It was made out of pure gold, one solid piece of gold. Where they got it in the desert, I don't know. It's one solid piece of pure gold that they had beaten to look like the tree of life. And that candlestick was never supposed to go out. It was supposed, to, it's the only light that was in that dark room. And it was supposed to represent how the light of life followed, came with them and traveled with them wherever they went in that desert and it never went out. But of course, the Israelites keep screwing up. That's what they do. It's kind of their MO and they keep screwing up even though they get into the promised land and everything's great and they've got kings and everything's wonderful. They keep screwing up and they're facing going back into exile, back into slavery again. And the prophet Isaiah comes when they're facing darkness down the barrel, when they're facing the unknown and they don't know what's going to happen next. The prophet Isaiah comes in Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, eight, he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Israel was looking down darkness down the barrel, but God said, I will never let you walk into it alone. I'm going to send you a light that is going to be for all nations, not just Jews, but everybody. And he said, and they're gonna come. And so let's just fast forward, shall we? To the Pharisees. The Pharisees are standing with Jesus in a temple. That look a lot like looked a lot like the tabernacle. It had the candlestick. It had the holy the holies with everything, and they like all of the, everything was symbolic. And they're standing in the temple, and um, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees know everything we just talked about, and they have been waiting for this light. They have been waiting for this Messiah. They have been waiting for this Savior for hundreds of years and they're wondering when he's gonna show up. So they, they, they know that he's going to, to, to start this kind of revolution where he's going to take over and, and, and free them from being over under, um, Roman law because they're sitting in darkness and they're like, when's our savior gonna come and take us out from underneath the Romans? Like some of them are looking for a warrior that's gonna come and fight and start a revolution. Some of them are waiting for a king that's gonna come in and, and, and be political and take over politically. Some of them are looking for a religious leader. And I can just see the Pharisees and Jesus standing in the temple and here, let me just set this up for you for just a little bit, okay? Because usually when I, I, like to, when I read the, the scriptures, I like to visualize what's going on. And like, I have a hard time with it because the only visuals that we have of, of things that happened in biblical times, a lot of them are like Renaissance painting. They're just a bunch of dudes standing like this. And I just can't wrap my brain around that. I need Jesus to be like a real person. And so let me just set up this scene for you. For me, this scene is set up kind of like that scene in Hamilton where you got like the dude standing on the platform with his scrolls. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody like, Hamilton fans up in here? Y'all see a Hamilton? So, like the dude standing on his fro- scroll with his scroll around like this and he goes, Heed not this rabble that screams revolution. I mean, doesn't that just sound like a Pharisee? I mean, come on, standing on their big old platform in their fancy robes all clean and educated and the heed not this rabble. And Jesus is over here with the rabble. All right, he's got fishermen and tax collectors and non-Jewish men and women for shame. For shame, I'm just, but then like Jesus is over here and he, I got, he's got Peter like with his arm around him. He's got a dagger in his side. And he's waiting to cut off an ear at any moment. He's like, I got you, Jesus. I got you. I see them Pharisees. I got you. Matthew's down here like looking through his eyes like what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? And you got Judas in the background. Please don't embarrass us again. Oh my goodness. And I can just see Jesus looking at the Pharisees with a little smirk on his face. And he looks past the Pharisees to the door of the temple and inside he knows that there is standing a candlestick that never goes out, that represents his very presence. And he looks at the Pharisees and he says, I am the light of the world. Can't you just see Peter like, oh, he just said he was the light of the world. And it says later in the scriptures that many believed in him that day. The Pharisees didn't. The Pharisees cared cared more about polishing that candlestick than they cared about believing in the Savior who was in front of them. And isn't that just religion? Isn't that basically religions like MO like they care more about the traditions than the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our lives. They care more about the, uh, the rules than the relationships that we can have. We ca- they care more about who is actually right and not who has eternal life. Jesus wants to t- wanted to take the light out of that dusty, dark temple and share it with the rest of the world and he wants us to do the same. When we believe in Jesus and we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is Lord, he is light. We carry that light in, our, in ourselves. Matthew 5, 16 says that you need to shine your light for the glory of God and then, um, Uh, In Acts, we've been talking about Acts all week, guys. In Acts, all the disciples were hanging out in the upper room. Jesus had already ascended into heaven and said, all right, y'all go tell my gospel. Don't worry, I'm gonna send you a helper because he promised, promised that you would never have to go alone. And all the the uh, disciples are in the upper room praying, where is this helper God? How are we supposed to go on without you? It is dark up ahead. And then the Holy Spirit comes and it looks like, flames are lit over their heads. I kid you not, they looked like living, breathing candlesticks. I can't make this stuff up, guys. you have got to read this book. There is good stuff in here. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not supposed to keep this light inside our temples. We are supposed to carry it into the world. Oh, but Jess, I'm, I'm an introvert. Like, I ain't, I ain't got all that going on like what you got going on up there. I'm a, I, don't, I don't really like to talk to people that much. I get it, but let me tell you a story of another revolution. Y'all heard Paul Revere? Paul Revere, yep. Everybody's heard of Paul Revere. He's pretty famous. You know what he's famous for? Spreading bad news. The British are here, the British are coming, the British are coming. The British showed up and he got on his horse and he rode 12 miles before he got stopped. 12 miles, but what you didn't know is there were four other night Riders, four. One of them's name was Israel Bissell, which is just an appropriate name. And so his name was Israel Bissell. He wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a soldier, he wasn't a general, he was a mailman. And he got on a horse and he didn't travel 12 miles. He traveled 345. So much so that he had to change horses because one of them gave up. 345 miles. Two years later, a general was sitting in his home and he got a banging on the door. And he said, the British are back again and they're taking over Danbury. They're taking all of our guns and all of our ammunition. We gotta do something. And he was like, well, all of my militia are on furlough and they're all spread out all over the land. And I I guess I need to stay here, but somebody, can you, can you go? He looked at the messenger and said, can you go? Can you go rally all the troops? He said, man, I can't, I can't even move. I'm so tired. It was all I could do just to get here. And his 16 year old daughter comes up to him and says, I'll go and she gets on her horse and she doesn't ride 12 miles. She drives 40. She rallied over 400 militia men, dodging all of the British in the middle of the night, 16 years old, rallied 400 men to come back to her father so that he could lead them into battle. Now, let me just think about that for just a second. If that's what a male man and a 16-year-old girl can do with bad news, just think what you can do with good news. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to pass the torch. Some of you need to pass the torch, and some of you need the light of life. Some of you have been been sitting in darkness for too long. You've been sitting in the unknown for too long. You've been sitting in your sin for too long. You have been lonely for too long. And what you need to know tonight is that that lamp, that in the tabernacle, that light inside the tabernacle came out for you. And it laid down on the altar for you. Because not only because, for two reasons, not only because he promised, and God is a God who keeps his promises. Because he, but the number two is, he did not want anything in between the holies of holies and the entrance, you, He took care of that altar, that altar is gone. He took care of that bath because he made you clean. He took care of the light because the light is now living inside of you. All you have to do is believe. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being the light of life. Thank you for, for bringing us out of our own sin and out of our own shame. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if you are still sitting in darkness, if you have never had a moment where you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, I want you to pray this with me. Dear heavenly Father, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being my light. Thank you for bringing me out of darkness. Thank you for cleansing me of sin and shame. Thank you for laying down on the altar for me and dying on a cross. Thank you for raising again. I believe in my heart and I'm saying with my mouth that I believe in you. Thank you for being my savior. Amen. Now everybody look up, up here at me because this is, is rise and shine time. It's time to shine, ladies and gentlemen. If there if this was the first time that you have ever be- believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, we're gonna do what I love Pastor Stephen when he says, we're gonna mark this moment. It is time to pass the torch. It's time to let the light that now lives inside of you because it is that quick that lives inside of you out. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and the rest of you better lose your ever loving minds, no matter if we at zero hands or 50 hands up in here because God, came and he is the light and that is something we're going to celebrate. So if that is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise God. Everybody stand and let's sing and let's celebrate together because we are no longer walking in the darkness by ourselves. There's somebody that goes with us.